Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. On Saturday night, an ISIS bomber blew himself up along with 51 other people at a Kurdish wedding party in Gaziatem in Turkey. According to the Turkish government, the suicide bomber was 12 to 14 years old. Then, on Sunday night in Kirkuk, Iraqi police tackled a would-be suicide bomber, a 12-year-old boy. They stripped him of his suicide belt. According to the UN, thousands of children have been kidnapped in Iraq, with many boys recruited or pressured into suicide bombing. Just a few weeks ago, tape emerged of a Palestinian man sending his toddler son at soldiers. The toddler carried a Palestinian flag. The kid, three years old, also carried rocks. The father urged the boy to throw them at the soldiers. Instead, the Israeli troops gave over and gave the boy a high five. Jihadists routinely recruit children for military purposes. During the Iran-Iraq war, the Iranian regime recruited and used thousands of children in battle as human shields and reportedly to clear minefields. Saddam Hussein also used to use kids in his army. Terrorist groups from Hamas to Hezbollah routinely trained small children in terrorist methods. Westerners simply can't understand the barbaric willingness of jihadist enemies to sacrifice their own kids to murder other people. But that's the nature of this battle, and that's why it's so unbelievably foolhardy of the left to assume that women and teens can't be radicalized, to assume jihadists are mainly concerned about economic immobility, to differentiate between the battles fought by Israel against jihadism and the battles fought by all the other Western countries against those same jihadists. Jihadists are willing to sacrifice their kids not because they're looking for new sanitation jobs, but because they have a philosophy of life and death that differs from that of the West. Hamas routinely proclaims, we love death more than you love life. And so they're willing to kill their own kids to fight the infidel. Meanwhile, the West struggles with how to deal with the fact that we love jihadist kids more than their own parents do. That's an intractable philosophic problem. It's not going to be solved with pretty Obama turns of phrase or redistribution of income. It's only going to be solved by a complete and utter defeat of jihadist ideology and the killing of as many jihadists as humanly possible. The first step, though, is recognizing their evil. They are not like us. Not when they treat their kids like animals. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So first of all, thanks to our sponsor today, Ring.com. There's a home burglary that happens every 13 seconds, and most of them happen in broad daylight. What Ring.com does, and it really is cool, is it's this device that you put on your front door or on your front gate, and when people ring the doorbell, it immediately rings to your cell phone. So you can see their face, you can see who's there, you can see what they're saying to you. You can even pretend like you're home, So because the way that most of these home burglaries work is that they ring the doorbell, and if nobody picks up, they assume nobody's home, then they break into your house. So you need the Ring video doorbell. It's really cool. It's so cool actually I went out and got extra ring material myself like I get some free ring.com material because I talk about them and they want me to try the product but it's such a good product that I even went onto their website and I bought some on my own which is kind of rare ring uses that advanced motion technology to to protect the entire property they have the ring of security kit so you know, here's the thing. If you go to the, the ring of if you go to ring.com slash Ben right now, you get a discount on the ring of security kit. So the ring of security kit is a ring video doorbell for the front door, a ring stick-up cam, a wireless weatherproof HD camera, which keeps a part uh, an eye on other parts of the property, and uh, everything installs in minutes. I've installed it myself. It's very easy to install. For a limited time, you go to ring.com 
slash Ben. You get $50 off that Ring of Security kit, and you join hundreds of thousands of people who protect their home with Ring.com. So it's Ring.com slash Ben. Truly fantastic product. I can vouch for it myself. It does work. It also allows me to pretend uh, that I'm not home when somebody I don't want to see is there. They ring, and I look at them, and I say, no. And so that's, that's been very convenient for me. So Ring.com slash Ben. Okay, tons to get to today. Hillary Clinton has a terrible, awful, no good, very bad weekend, which is great because Hillary Clinton is a terrible, awful, no good, very bad person. So Hillary Clinton has a lot of boo-boos over the weekend. A lot of bad things happen. So we begin with Huma Abedin. So Huma Abedin, who's her gal pal, you know, her gal pal. So she, her, her gal pal Huma Abedin, who's her top aide, she, uh, she apparently has now been linked, and this has been true for years, people have linked her to this before, to the Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs. That's her mommy was the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs. And Huma Abedin started working there about the time she became a White House intern. And while she was there, she, she specifically greenlit a piece she, she, that, that ripped apart Hillary Clinton's feminist agenda. There was a 1996 article arguing that single moms, working moms, and gay couples with kids should not be recognized as families. It also states that more revealing dress ushered in by women's lib, quote, directly translates into unwanted results of sexual promiscuity and irresponsibility and indirectly promote violence against women. So that's the whole short skirt means that you want to be raped argument. That was one of the articles that she published while she was the assistant editor there. The author asserted, quote, a conjugal family established through a marriage contract between a man and a woman and extended through procreation is the only definition of family that a Muslim can accept. And they say that pushing mothers out into the open labor market is a clear demonstration of a lack of respect of womanhood and motherhood. So that's not even just saying that if you dress non-modestly, that that's, best, that's not saying that if a woman works, that's a terrible thing. She was the editor at this, at this journal at the same time all this was going on. Now, imagine for a second that you had a Republican who was the editor of a journal where they said women working was terrible and non-religious and horrible in every way. Imagine that for one second. You think that person would last five seconds in national politics? But Huma Abedin won't be forced to disassociate from Hillary Clinton. After all, no one would want that heartbroken relationship on their hands. So the media ain't going to force a divide between Huma Abedin and Hillary Clinton. Abedin right now, she is saying that she played no formal role in the Muslim Journal, even though she was listed as an editor on the periodical's masthead for a dozen years. Not for five minutes, for a dozen years. Uh, they, they refused to say, by the way, whether she was being paid by the Journal at the same time. So that's pretty amazing that, that she was... So that's, that's story number one. Hillary's top aide was the assistant editor on a journal that said that women should not work and that if women did work, it was a dishonor. So that's, that's just lovely. Okay, Piece of, piece of news number two from the Hillary being terrible category. Hillary's, this just shows you how incestuous politics is. Paul Manafort was the campaign manager for Donald Trump until five minutes ago when he was ousted by Steve McBannon. And Paul Manafort uh, is now under FBI investigation because Paul Manafort actually has deep and abiding links with the Russians and the Ukrainians. He apparently took like $13 million. He didn't report to the federal government. He's under investigation, but he's not the only one under investigation. Also under investigation is a, is a consulting group with whom he was linked. That would, of course, be the Podesta Group. The Podesta Group is run by John Podesta. It was founded by John Podesta. John Podesta is, of course, Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman. So, this is, so the Podesta Group is now being investigated for connections they have to Trump's campaign manager. So Hillary's campaign manager's group is now being investigated for its tie to Trump's campaign manager. If that doesn't say incest, I don't know what does, but it's bad news for Hillary Clinton just showing more corrupt ties from Hillary Clinton. That's piece of news number two. Piece of news number three. 
Colin Powell came out and slammed Hillary Clinton. So Hillary Clinton has now said she's, she's now blaming Colin Powell for her email server. Because when in doubt, Hillary Clinton blames the black guy. So Hillary Clinton says that the reason she had a private server is because she was having dinner with Colin Powell. And Colin Powell said, you know what you should do? You should set up a private email. And she apparently said, oh, that, that sounds like a great idea. Okay, the reality, of course, is that what Colin Powell did while he was Secretary of State has nothing to do with what Hillary did. Colin Powell had a personal email address where he handled personal emails, and he had a government email address where he handed government emails, which is kind of how you were supposed to do it at the time. Later, they said, put it all in the government email so we can make sure that everything is safe so that people don't email you the wrong thing to the wrong email address. But Colin Powell said, you know, I used to have one, not the other. I didn't, I didn't have a private server. I had a private email address. Hillary says, no, that's why I set up a private server. So now Colin Powell says, look, I'm not going to get thrown under the bus on this thing. I am not interested in being her fall, uh, her fall guy. So here is a, a spokeswoman for Powell's office issued a statement, quote, General Powell has no recollection of the dinner conversation. He did write Secretary Clinton an email memo describing his use of personal AOL email account for unclassified messages and how it vastly improved communications within the State Department. At the time, there was no equivalent system within the department. He used a secure state computer on his desk to manage classified information. The general no longer has the email he sent to former Secretary Clinton. It may exist in state or FBI files, although since she was using a private email address, rather doubtful. He was also asked by People magazine about whether he was the source of all of this. And he said, no, Hillary Clinton's just trying to use me as a fall guy. So well done, Hillary Clinton. She's desperately trying to drive out the black vote. And she pissed off one of one of the leaders in the black community, Colin Powell. So that was a bad piece of her weekend. So that's story number three. Story number four, Hillary Clinton had to announce over the weekend that the Clinton Foundation is going to stop taking foreign and corporate donations. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's because Hillary Clinton has done that before. In 2008, the Clinton Foundation said that they would no longer accept donations from all of the, from, from this. Here's, here's what the Clinton Global Initiative said, okay? This is, this is a memorandum of understanding that was signed by Foundation CEO Bruce Lindsay. This is a memo of understanding. Should Senator Clinton be confirmed, this 2008, should Senator Clinton be confirmed as Secretary of State, the Foundation will incorporate CGI, the Clinton Global Initiative, as a separate entity from the Foundation. President Clinton will continue in his role as principal host and be identified as CGI's founding chairman, but he will not serve as an officer or director of the newly established entity or otherwise serve as fiduciary on behalf of CGI. CGI will also suspend plans for CGI international events outside the United States during any service by Senator Clinton at the State Department. Apart from attendance fees for CGI, CGI will not accept contributions from foreign governments. Did that happen? No, that did not happen. No, that did not happen. In November, the foundation had to restate six years of tax documents to account for previously undisclosed revenue from foreign governments. So that's bad news piece number four for Hillary Clinton. The Clinton Foundation is obviously a pass-through for the State Department. Basically, there's a massive pay-for-play deal going on. People would give money to the Clinton Foundation, and then they'd get favors from Hillary Clinton. So that's bad piece of news number four. Bad piece of news number five for Hillary Clinton. I mean, this thing really stacks up. Bad news piece number five for Hillary Clinton. According to the Daily Caller, apparently there was $6 billion, with a B, billion dollars in contract mismanagement, fraud, and incompetence that happened under her watch at the Department of State. That's according to the Cause of Action Institute. They say the total value of the, con uh, of the contracts reviewed by the Inspector General exceeded $6 billion. Many of those cases arose during the tenure of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. So she basically blew $6 billion on waste and frauds. So that's piece of bad news number five. Piece of bad news number six. So 
over the, just now, I mean, this broke today, the FBI has now said that they have uncovered 15,000 undisclosed emails in the Hillary Clinton probe. 15,000. So you remember, she turned over 30, and she said, that's all I have to turn over. That's all there is. That's all there is, right? All there is is, is 30,000 emails. The rest I destroyed because they were all about yoga. And look at my fine physique and my tight booty, and you can tell how much yoga I've been doing. And the FBI laughed and laughed and laughed, and they said, yeah, she's probably right, because they're corrupt. So the FBI has now uncovered almost 15,000 previously undisclosed documents sent directly to or from Hillary Clinton, according to State Department's lawyer. They confirmed that before a federal judge on Monday. The documents, according to The Hill, were found during the course of the FBI's investigation into the Democratic presidential nominee's use of a personal email server during her time as Secretary of State. The number is 50% more than the 30,000 she said that she turned over. I love this part. It remains unsettled whether the full set will be out before the, the presidential election on November 8th. They say they're going to reveal some of these in October. Unclear whether they're going to reveal all of them before October. Here's the, here's the good news as far as that goes. I mean, it's not really good news, but it's true. If the FBI has these emails, so does WikiLeaks. So you can assure that all of these will be out before November. So... That's, what, six pieces of bad news all breaking over this weekend, all demonstrating that Hillary Clinton is corrupt, that her aides are, are radical or associated with radicals, that she's deeply in bed with, with all of these foreign governments, including people like the aforementioned Nigerian Lebanese business person, uh, Chiguri, who gave a bunch of money to the Clinton Global Initiative and then was ushered into kind of the inner sanctum of the State Department. And now we're learning that he was also deeply associated with Mark Rich. You may remember Mark Rich. He's the guy that Clinton pardoned just before the 2000 election in order to sort of buy off a block of votes in New York for his wife and her senatorial race. I mean, the Clintons are so corrupt. They're so insanely corrupt. And now there's this whole new tranche of emails that is apparently going to break. None of that is good news, of course, for Hillary Clinton. All of that is very terrible news for Hillary Clinton. And Donald Trump, you know, Donald Trump, he, uh, he actually hit hard on this. So Donald Trump came out and he gave a statement. He said the Clinton Foundation needs to disband. Here's Donald Trump saying that on Fox and Friends this morning. Well, number one, they should shut it down. Number two, they should give the money back to a lot of countries that we shouldn't be taking and they shouldn't be taking money from. Countries that influenced her totally. And also countries that discriminate against women and gays and everybody else. I mean, that money should be, go it should be given back. They should not take that money. Honestly, do you think that'll happen? It should happen, whether or not it will. They're very greedy people, so maybe it won't, but it should happen. And that, of course, is exactly right. Donald Trump is right on the money. The Clinton Foundation should be shut down. It is a scam. It is a, it is a, a corrupt organization that was used as a pass-through by Hillary Clinton and her cronies. Trump also went after Huma Abedin. He said, look, to pretend that Hillary didn't know all this stuff about Huma Abedin when they've been working together for literally about two decades is just insane. Here's Donald Trump going after Huma Abedin. And today, the Trump, the Clinton camp answered and said her name was just on there. She didn't really do anything. She had no formal role as the exact quote of the radical Muslim journal. And her mom's the editor. Is that right, Brian? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because, of course, that's terrible and it shouldn't happen and it's a lie. It's another lie that they tell. But what about the fact that Uma Abedin, who knows every single thing about Hillary Clinton, she knows more about Hillary than Hillary knows, and she's married to a pervert sleaze named Anthony Weiner, who will send anything that he has out over Twitter or any other form of, of getting it out. I mean, she's married to Anthony Weiner. She knows everything that Hillary Clinton is doing, and she's married to a guy that has no control over himself. 
Okay, and that's, of course, 100% true again, because the, the whole relationship between Huma Abedin and Wiener and the Clintons, it's really weird, and it's, and it's kind of odd. Like, how, how is it that, I mean, this is like a real religious question. Huma Abedin is a religious Muslim. I mean, she talks about it. She married a Jewish guy. That's kind of weird. It's, it's very rare that that happens. It's actually more usual that if you're going to have an intermarriage between Muslim and Jew, that the man is a Muslim and the woman's a Jew. But to have a, a Muslim woman marrying a Jewish man is, is at the very least statistically unusual. The, the, whole, the whole situation just reeks. No, the, the whole thing is just odd, and, and the, there would be questions asked about this if Huma Abedin were not close to Hillary Clinton. right? If, Hillary, if, if Huma Abedin were a Republican, these sorts of questions would be asked on a routine basis. She's a Democrat, she's close to Hillary Clinton, and therefore everybody sort of ignores it. Well, that's all the time we have here on Facebook Live and YouTube. If you want to subscribe, go to dailywire.com. That allows you to see the whole thing in video form. You can see my lovely face, you can see all of the videos that are associated with the show, and uh, you can also be part of the mailbag, our, our vaunted Ben Shapiro show mailbag, the greatest mailbag of all mailbags. That that comes up on Thursday, so go to dailywire.com for the subscription, and make sure that later today you, you download the rest of the podcast at iTunes or SoundCloud, the number one conservative podcast in America, The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so with that said, with Donald Trump on attack, you figure, okay, Trump is having two good weeks. Right, he had a good week last week, except for the whole botched campaign shakeup. Except for the botched campaign shakeup. But let's talk about let's talk about what he did today. So Donald Trump so Donald Trump, you know, he has that good week and, and Hillary Clinton has this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad weekend. And then as I tweeted on Friday, I tweeted out, you know, somebody Trump's having a good week. Somebody needs to take away his Twitter right now. Take away his Twitter right this very instant. So now as always, whenever there's good Trump, unfortunately, there's also bad Trump. Here is some good Trump, bad Trump. Thanks to Brandon Snipes for the theme, as always. All right, good Trump, bad Trump. So we just had the good Trump, right, where he was attacking Hillary Clinton. That's what he needs to do. He needs to attack Hillary Clinton. If he wants to make it tough on people like me, who are at best ambivalent about Donald Trump, he needs to attack Hillary Clinton and never stop attacking Hillary Clinton. Unfortunately, Donald Trump has the has the self-control uh, of my two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, and, and so he is, uh, and so instead he gets on Twitter this morning and here's Donald Trump on Twitter this morning. So he, he could have, he, by the way, he gave his statement about the Clinton foundation shutting down pretty major statement. He could have tweeted that out sentence by sentence and then threaded all of the, all of the tweets. Instead, he decided that it was very important that he go after Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. So he tweeted, quote, tried watching low rated morning Joe this morning, unwatchable exclamation point. Morning Mika is off the wall, a neurotic and not very bright mess, exclamation point. Yeah. And then he tweeted this. That wasn't the only one. And he tweeted more. Someday when things calm down, I'll tell the real story of Joe NBC and his very insecure longtime girlfriend, Morning Mika. Two clowns, exclamation point. <laughs> so first of all, I, I will just point out that I definitely want to hear the real story behind Joe and Morning Mika. Like that... I think that would be really amusing. I can't wait to hear all the dirty secrets. I think that's that's spectacular. So that's that's just wonderful. Um, but that said, 
What this has to do with Hillary Clinton is beyond me. And I'm old enough to remember when within 48 hours, Kellyanne Conway was saying you don't attack the refs, just go after Hillary Clinton. It's a waste of time. But Donald Trump, again, because he has no capacity to hold himself in, he does this. So I think this is a big deal. No, I think attacking the media is not a big deal. But it underscores one of the big problems that Trump is having in polls right now. One of the big problems that Trump is having in the polls right now is that people think he's unstable. They think he's volatile. They don't trust him to be presidential. Now, Donald Trump had the most presidential moment of his entire campaign on Friday, right? He gave a bunch of good speeches last, last week. He gave a good speech on ISIS, and then he gave a good speech on crime, and then he gave a speech on Friday night on race that was, I think, you know, a little dicey, but it was still pretty good, and we'll talk about that in a little while. But the best thing that he did was he, he went down to Louisiana, and this was really smart. There's this natural disaster, and he goes down to Louisiana. So let me be the first to point out, I think, I, you know, I hate political falsity in all of its forms. I think that the I'm a politician, I'm going to go visit the place of the disaster is the stupidest trope. It's the dumbest trope in American politics. Like Most of the people there don't want you and your Secret Service team descending and preventing and clogging up all the traffic. And most of the people, whenever Barack Obama comes to L.A., I just think to myself, get the hell out. Like, I don't want you here. All you do is clog up the traffic on the 405 and make it impossible for my wife to get home. Like, just please don't come. But there's this, there's this trope in politics now, and it's been true for years, that if you want to show you care, you go to a disaster area. And Barack Obama, back in 2005, during Hurricane Katrina, he came out and he said, it's just terrible that, that George W. Bush wouldn't go down and visit Hurricane Katrina site. And he did. He went down a few days later. But it wasn't his responsibility. I think this whole thing is dumb. Like, what are you going to do? You go down there, you hand out a couple of toys, and then you leave. Yay! Okay, so, so it, you know, I, I don't like that sort of thing. But Barack Obama ripped Bush up and down. And then in 2012, of course, he did the same thing with Hurricane Sandy. Chris Christie invited him to New Jersey because he was trying to foreclose the possibility of a Cory Booker run for governor. Cory Booker is, of course, the now black senator. Well, he's always black, but now senator from New Jersey. Uh, And Cory Booker was thinking about running against Chris Christie in New Jersey. So Governor Christie invited Barack Obama like a week before the election to come to the site of Hurricane Sandy and look concerned. And that swung a lot of votes and made Obama look like he cared Whereas before, he seemed like he was kind of an uncaring jerk. I Again, I, I think this kind of politics is stupid, but it does work. It does work. And so it's not Trump's fault that it works. And Trump is smart. So Trump goes, at least on this, I think in many areas, others not. But here, he's smart. So he goes down to Louisiana, and the media have completely undercovered this Baton Rouge flooding. 13 people dead, tens of thousands of people displaced. They ignore all of this, of course, because Barack Obama's the president. When Bush was the president and he didn't go down to Hurricane Katrina land, it was because, as Kanye West put it, he hated black people. But Barack Obama, he loves black people enough that he can ignore black people drowning in Baton Rouge so that he can golf with all the white folks in Martha's Vineyard. So Trump kind of sees this, and he goes down to Louisiana. Really smart. Really smart. He goes down, that, that right there is, is solid good Trump, right? He goes down to Louisiana, and he hands out toys. He takes a bunch of toys off his truck, and he gives them to all the kids, and that's just great. And the, and the Louisiana governor, who's a Democrat, thanks Trump for coming down and putting focus on it. And Hillary Clinton is sitting in her, in her coffin in her Transylvanian castle somewhere, and she can't be roused from her, from her sleep until night falls. So she, had nothing, so she couldn't go to Louisiana. There was too much sunlight. Plus, there are a bunch of people who believe in the occult in Louisiana, and they don't take kindly to vampires. So Hillary Clinton, you know, was she, she didn't show up in Louisiana. She instead phoned it in, like literally phoned it in. She got on the phone, and she said to all these people, okay, well, you know, good luck. And everyone went, great job, Hillary. And so, so Obama now, on Friday, Obama flipped himself. He said, I'm not going to go down to Louisiana. And then, just an hour after Trump shows up, he says, oh, no, 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 it's very important. Very, very important. I go down to Louisiana. I think it's very important. He said that on Friday. 
On Friday, he said he would come down on Tuesday. Now he's saying, ah, I need a couple more days to golf. Let's go Thursday. So all of this is great for Trump, right? That's good Trump. It's smart Trump. All of that happens. And then over the weekend, and then over the weekend, Donald Trump gets himself in a little bit of trouble. So it's important to mention who's the new staff at Donald Trump headquarters here. So Steve Bannon, who had one job, take away his Twitter feed. Uh, Steve Bannon fails at that. But the other person at campaign headquarters is Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway, as you mentioned the last time, she's the campaign manager now. And Kellyanne Conway is a, is a very mainstream conservative uh, she's in the past stumped for Marco Rubio-style amnesty. And so now Donald Trump looks like he is making some moves with regard to illegal immigration that may, in fact, make Ann Coulter spontaneously combust. So according to BuzzFeed.com, in a Saturday meeting with his newly announced Hispanic Advisory Council, Donald Trump suggested he is interested in figuring out, quote, a humane and efficient manner to deal with immigrants in the country illegally, according to three sources. Trump, however, stressed any new announcements will still be in line with the border security-focused approach that has invited intense opposition from Latinos and immigrants since he launched his campaign. According to Jacob Monte, a Houston-based immigration lawyer, he said people who are here is the toughest part of the immigration debate, that it must be something that respects border security but deals with this in a humane and efficient manner. The idea is, this is according to Jose Fuentes, who is chair of Romney's Hispanic Advisory Committee, the idea is we're not getting someone in front of the line, we're doing it in a legal way, but he wants to hear ideas of how we deal with 11 million people that are here with no documents. So the Trump campaign says that this is clickbait journalism. He says that he didn't open the door to legalization. But it sounds a little bit like Trump is opening the door to legalization. And I want to talk about the ramifications of that in a minute. But here is the proof that Trump seems like he's opening the door to legalization of the 11 million illegal immigrants already here. Now, no, if he does that, then his new plan will be a border wall, shut down or, or prevent a huge percentage of new legal immigration coming into the country, and leave most of the legalized immigrants here. Just don't give them citizenships. They'd have work permits, but not citizenship. If that sounds exactly like Marco Rubio's plan, that's because it's almost exactly Marco Rubio's plan. So the thing that Trump was calling amnesty before, according to at least this BuzzFeed article, may be Donald Trump's new policy. And there are a few things going on here I want to talk about, but let's start with the proof that there's a bit of hedging going on inside the Trump camp. So Senator Jeff Sessions has been a Republican from Alabama. He's been Trump's number one campaign advisor on the issue of immigration. And I know Senator Sessions. He is very hardcore on immigration. Uh, and a few years back, probably two years back, I was, uh, I was in Florida at, a, at a, an event with the Horowitz Freedom Center, and I literally sat at a table with Ann Coulter, Jeff Sessions, and Stephen Miller, the, the top kind of campaign surrogate for Trump, and all of us talked about immigration until late into the evening. Sessions and, and Coulter were just in love with each other because they are so hardcore on immigration. So Sessions, a very, very hardcore immigration guy, basically wrote Trump's immigration plan. Here is Jeff Sessions trying to explain that Donald Trump hasn't changed his viewpoint. Is that true? Has he changed his view on deportation? He has not changed his view, and, but he had a great meeting with people who had different ideas, and I understand, I wasn't there, but he had a good discussion. He listened to all the different views. Look, you, we need a lawful system of immigration. Trump is absolutely clear and correct on that. We must end the lawlessness first. We can't talk about these other issues until that occurs. I think that remains his firm position. So the anywhere between 10 to 12 people, million people here illegally, whatever the number, Trump has suggested that they would be required to physically leave the United States, reapply in order to come back. 
legally. Is that well? I don't know that he's formally said that. He's discussed that. Yes. Other people have discussed that. That's the touchback idea. Yes. I'm not sure that's the best solution to the problem, but it's one solution. What do you think uh, is the best solution? Well, I think we'll have to first end all the lawlessness. This can be done, Tucker. It's very accomplishable with a strong president. We yes. need a, a law. A few laws would help, but actually, you could do it with current laws. Uh, and that's when then you can begin to talk uh, more appropriately about what, what to do with people who've been here a long time. Okay, so what he's basically saying there is kind of incoherent, right? He says touchback amnesty is something we would consider. Touchback amnesty is left of Marco Rubio. Touchback amnesty is we'll deport you from the country, and then we'll put you in the back of the line. You come back in, we'll give you amnesty. You'll be a full citizen. That's what touchback amnesty is. I mean, that's that's really not a very conservative position. Sessions continues on these lines. He's asked about mass deportation. Now, remember, Donald Trump's original plan was I'm going to round up and deport everyone. And he was asked about this. He said he did his usual Trumpian routine where he says, you have to do it. You have no choice. You have to do it. Right. And, and he kept saying that over and over. And so it brought up the image of a bunch of guys in ice uniforms and butterfly nets running around trying to catch all the illegal immigrants at the local Home Depot. Well, Jeff Sessions was asked about this, about the mass deportation plan. And here is Senator Sessions. Remember, this is the guy who basically wrote Trump's immigration platform, and he's starting to hedge on mass deportation now. What does that mean to you, humane and efficient? Well, I think first and foremost, he has made clear that we end the illegality, we fix our border and secure it. That can be done with the president alone, really, if he had a determination to do so, uh, and Congress could help make it even better. And then I, we'll have to think about what's the right thing to do. He listened to a lot of people. I don't think he made any commitments. Uh, he's thinking that through. I think that's the right thing. But uh, he is absolutely committed to the first thing that has to be done, and that's in the lawlessness to protect Americans from uh, danger and to protect American jobs from excessive flows of labor that pull down wages and job opportunities for Americans. As he's articulated it in the primary, ending that lawlessness, and he's talking about law and order now on the stump, ending that lawlessness means removing soon after he's president the 11 million who are here from the country enforcing the laws that they uh, he says they are breaking removing them from the country and then putting them at the back of the line is that your understanding that that's still his position well he's wrestling with how to uh, do that uh, people that are here unlawfully that came into the country against our laws are uh, subject to being removed that's just plain fact yeah, there was a little confusion about his position, but you're you're pretty certain about where he is in terms of removing the 11 million from the United States. Well, what I'm certain about is that he did not make a firm commitment yesterday or the, the meeting the other day uh, about what he will do with that. But he did listen and he's talking about it. OK, so if that sounds... If that sounds a little vague and a little uncertain, doesn't sound like mass deportations on the table anymore, let's be a little clearer now. Kellyanne Conway, who's much more moderate on immigration personally, here's Trump's new campaign manager explaining that mass deportation may not be something they do. This is on CNN. So does Donald Trump still support that, a deportation force removing the 11 million or so undocumented immigrants? What he supports, and if you go back to his convention speech a, a month ago, Dana, Dana, what he supports is to make sure that we enforce the law, that we are respectful of those Americans who are looking for well-paying jobs, and that we are fair and humane for those who live among us in this country. And so, as the weeks unfold, 
as the weeks unfold, he will lay out the specifics of that plan that he would implement as president of the United States. Will that plan include a deportation force, the kind that he just, you just heard in that soundbite and that he talked about during the Republican primaries? To be determined. Okay, to be determined. And that's, and that's you know, the, this is the new line, is that it's, it's all to be determined. Again, I, I don't understand how that's not a walk back, but it seems to me that it seem, it seems to me that that's a walk back. I mean, just being honest with you, it seems to me that that looks a lot like a walk back because it's a walk back. And so every and here's Trump walking it back a little bit today. We have to be very firm. We have to be very, very strong when people come in illegally. We have a lot of people that want to come in through the legal process. It's not fair for them. And we're working with a lot of people in the Hispanic community to try and come up with an answer. So you're not flip-flopping? No, I'm not flip-flopping. We want to come up with a really fair but firm answer. Okay, so here's a direct quote from Donald Trump in November. You're going to have a deportation force, and you're going to do it humanely. Don't forget Mika, is when he was friends with Mika and Joe. Don't forget Mika. You have millions of people that are waiting in line to come into this country, and they're waiting to come in legally. And I always say the wall, we're going to build the wall. It's going to be a real deal. It's also going to be a real wall. And, and so he, he specifically talks about, you know, this idea that he's going to deport 11 million people. He's talked about that before. He's going to have this, this deportation force to deport everybody because you've got to enforce the law. Now, the reason that I mention all of this is twofold. One is, I think this is Trump's attempt at moderation. Now he's attempting to run a general election campaign, and so he's swiveling a little bit. The question is, what are his supporters going to do? What are his supporters going to do about this? And I think the answer is probably going to be not much. I think his supporters basically think they fall into two categories. One is they think that now he's fibbing, but before he was telling the truth, that he's, he's fibbing to get into office, but then he'll get in, and then he'll deport everybody. And then there are the people who say, well, I just trust him. Doesn't matter, which, whichever way it is. I just trust Donald Trump. I don't trust Hillary Clinton, and so I'll vote for him. That second one, you know, I, I don't trust him, but, but he's better than— there, there are really three, actually, I should say. There's three. There's I don't trust him, but— I, tr- I, don't trust, I don't trust him, but I'll vote for him. That's sort of the Dennis Prager position. And then there is the, I, I trust whatever he does position. And then there's the, I trust that he's going to do what he originally said he was going to do. I think that more and more voters are falling into the second category, the I trust him position, the I'm going to at least more of his base. The He's a deal maker. Whatever he does is going to be the best. I don't really care. His positions don't matter anymore. I, I back him personally, and I think he's going to be the greatest. This, to me, is the kind of personal loyalty I don't like in politics just generally. I don't like it from Democrats. I don't like it from Republicans. If you think that Donald Trump is going to deport everybody, so you're going to vote for him, good for you. Okay, I, you may, I think you're wrong. I don't think he's going to do any of those things. But at least you think that he's going to do something. If you're one of the people who thinks that his new position is the one he's going to keep, and that's the one you like, then I hear you. But if you just think, okay, I'll follow him wherever he goes. I will follow him down the primrose path, no matter what that primrose path is, that seems to me anti-conservative as a general matter. I don't think he's going to get a lot of blowback on this. And that's the ironic part of this. Because if you go back to the primaries, all we heard during the primaries was Donald Trump running ads saying that Marco Rubio, little Marco, was weak on immigration, saying that Ted Cruz was too weak on immigration. Breitbart News made a, made a fortune just saying that Ted Cruz was too weak on immigration, but Donald Trump was a strong man on immigration. He was going to be the one who deported all the illegal immigrants. He's the one who was going to make sure that the border was enforced. He was the one who was really going to handle our border problem. And it doesn't matter anymore. I've been told that you know, in no uncertain terms by Trump supporters today. I mean, I've talked to a bunch of them today. It just doesn't matter. Whatever Trump says goes. And that's scary to me. I don't like that idea because that suggests that if Trump were elected, that these same people would defend any dumb thing he did. Because in the end, they're loyal to Trump. And there were people who did this for Bush, too. And they started defending 
Bush's expansion of Medicare Part D just because it was Bush. Or they started defending Bush over campaign finance reform just because it was Bush. Once you fall in love with the politicians to the extent that you're willing to change your own policies and not hold them accountable for changing theirs, then you're just a subject. You're no longer a citizen. Like the, the obligation of citizenship is to hold your politicians accountable. The obligation of being a subject is that your politicians hold you accountable. And right now, Donald Trump is holding people accountable. He's saying, if you don't support me, you're the bad guy. Well, what about you keeping your promise? How about you sticking to your original position? We'll find out how it goes this week. We'll find out whether it makes any difference this week. He's supposed to give this big immigration address on Thursday, and I'll be really interested to see whether Ann Coulter just moves with him, whether she takes the position that, that his original position is the real one and this one's just fake for the election cycle, whether she burns him because she actually cares about the principles regarding immigration, uh, or whether she just says, I trust Donald no matter what, and whatever deal he cuts is the best deal. Uh, this is, it's, I think it's an ugly part of American politics that we've now reached where we expect our politicians to lie to us so much. We expect them to shift their position so much that all we do in the end is just decide who we like personally, and then we follow them to the ends of the earth. That's, that's a recipe for tyranny. It's not a recipe for any sort of principled leadership. I mean, I, I've been told that, that people are going to hold Trump honest after the election. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence of that so far. So uh, if, if Trump is elected, there are going to be people who are calling for him to, to stick with his program. But the question is, which program? The question is, which program? So it's, uh, un, un, you know, I think that it'll, I'll be interested to see what he does here. But it's just worth reminding that, that if you get back in that DeLorean and go back just a solid four months or so, all the people who right now are going to be cheering Donald Trump while he swivels to Ted Cruz's and, and Marco Rubio's position, really Marco Rubio's, not even Cruz's position, while he swivels to the Rubio position, all those same people were saying that Marco Rubio could never, never, never be elected because, his, uh, because of his position on the Gang of Eight bill, which basically is what Trump is talking about if you just separate Gang of Eight into two sections, the border security and then the legalized illegal immigration. Okay, so that's bad Trump. Then there's some good Trump. So Donald Trump gave a speech on Friday in which he talked about race. And in this speech, he did something that I thought was great. He made a direct appeal to the black community. He said, you guys need to vote for me because Democrats have done an insanely crappy job at taking care of black people, particularly in inner cities. A hundred percent true. A hundred percent true. And here's Kellyanne Conway saying the truth, which is that the media are ripping on Donald Trump for saying the same thing to black voters that Democrats constantly say to black voters, except Trump doesn't have a bad record of, of having black people in the inner city rely on his leadership and then failing. Many in the African-American community saw that as insulting because they say most African-Americans don't live in poverty and that Mr. Trump was making those comments in communities that are more than 90 percent white. But those comments are for all Americans, and I live in a white community. I'm white. I, I was very moved by his comment. In other words, he is trying to tell Americans that we can do better. And the, the thing that he said that I think got a great deal of resonance is that maybe Hillary Clinton looks at you as voters this year, takes you for granted. I look at you as people. And if you, again, George, if you think 58% of unemployment in the African-American youth community is a good idea, then absolutely please go vote for Hillary Clinton, everyone. Okay, so, you know, what she's saying here is, is basically true, that, that Republicans should have been making the play for the black vote for a long time, and Trump's finally doing it. The, the only problem with Trump doing it is that Trump is so rough that even when he tries to make a solid pitch to black voters, and I think there's a great pitch that Republicans can make to black voters, Trump strong arms it. He just goes over the top. Now, I will say this. I'm not going to hold Trump here to a standard that I, that I won't hold Democrats. Democrats are constantly treating blacks as a group. They're constantly saying every black person in America, they've said this, every black person in America has experienced white racism. Really? Has Colin Powell's kid experienced white racism? How much white racism has Barack Obama really experienced? Not a lot. How about his kids? 
Not, not a ton. I mean, certainly no more than I've experienced anti-Semitism, and I'm certainly not a victim of anti-Semitism. You know, there, there are anti-Semites out there, but my life has not been a story of discrimination against Jews. In any case, Donald Trump speaks about black folks in, as a collective, and that, to me, is a problem in the same way the Democrats do. This is why I say that, that Trump is sort of the mirror image of Democrats. Uh, he kind of pursues a tribal view of human nature. Here's Donald Trump talking about the black community. Some of this is good and some of this is not. Look how much African-American communities have suffered under Democratic control. To those I say the following, what do you have to lose by trying something new like Trump? What do you have to lose? I say it again, what do you have to lose? Look, what do you have to lose? You're living in poverty, your schools are no good, you have no jobs, 58% of your youth is unemployed, what the hell do you have to lose? And at the end of four years, I guarantee you that I will get over 95% of the African-American vote. I promise you. Okay. I mean, if that's what his problem, uh, uh, Mike Pence was asked about this and started laughing out loud that Trump is going to win 95% of the black vote. Right now, Donald Trump's black vote consists of, in order, Jesse Lee Peterson, Omarosa, Diamond and Silk, Larry Elder, and maybe, maybe a couple other people. Like, maybe. I'm trying. I'm struggling for, for more names. It's like six people total. I mean, he, he's, he's literally pulling at 1% in the black community. He says he's going to get 95% of the black community. That's, that's silly talk. Here's, so as a, general, as a general message, what he's saying is right. Democrats have totally done nothing for black people. They've ruined black lives. They've gotten black people killed in cities all across America with their, with their perspective on law enforcement. They've enabled a culture that doesn't value education and that values poverty. All of that is 100% true. Um, all of that is 100% true, at least in the, in the black, that's, that's what Democrats have done to black people. Um, but when he says things like, when he says, you don't have jobs, you're unemployed, your schools suck, would it have hurt him that much just to say too many of you are unemployed? Too many of you are without, are without jobs and good schools? Too many of you are without opportunity? I mean, he makes it sound like every black person in America doesn't have a job. Now, again... I'm not going to hold them to a standard I won't hold Democrats. Democrats do the same thing. I mean, Joe Biden went on the campaign trail in 2012 and literally said that Mitt Romney was going to put black people back in chains. He was going to clap them back into irons and, as, as slaves. Democrats do it all the time. But I don't like just labeling groups as a general rule, and Trump does it here, so I'll condemn him for that, even though I think that the general message, which is Democrats suck at taking care of black folks just like they suck at taking care of all folks, uh, that, that is true. Okay. Time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things I like. So uh, my friend Jeremy is in Israel, so we're going to do sort of biblically related uh, material this week. So this is a, a fiction book by James Missioner called The Source, uh, and it's a, it's a really fantastic book. It's, 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 it's all about – it starts off it's, – it's sort of a pastiche. It starts off with somebody digging at a tell. When they say Tel Aviv, what they mean is it's a dig. It's an archaeological site. Um, and so he's digging at a tell, uh, and it's sort of him uncovering the history of Israel through archaeology. And it's, it's basically a bunch of short stories, but a bunch of them are really, really compelling and interesting. Uh, so the book is The Source by James Missioner. Uh, it's a long read, but it's an easy read, uh, and, it's, and it's 
pretty historically informative. So that's that's a really good book, The Source by James Missioner. Okay, other things that that I like. Okay, so Andrew Clavin sent me this particular video, uh, and this is sort of how I feel about the selection cycle. Um, but this woman did not get her chicken McNuggets. And things went really, really poorly when she didn't get her chicken McNuggets. And I have to show up just because this is hilarious. Let's just make a McNuggets in my hand. I don't want to get it. It's 1030 a.m. We don't serve chicken McNuggets at this time. Yes, you do. No, we don't. Why not? Because we do. You know what? Did you just hiss at me? I'm the one just hiss at you. Did you just scare me out of the car? What's going on over there? She's literally getting out of the car right now. And pushing the window open of the drive through And trying to hit people. She's hissing at people. Best line so far, you've not yet seen me take my ultimate form. Pretty spectacular. So this woman is now bashing on the drive-thru window with her elbow. I don't know where Clavin gets this stuff or what he does with his free time, but... She's literally trying to smash the window. And she gets back in her car and everybody thinks things are okay. Aha. Uh -huh. But just wait. Alright, we need to call the police. This is out of control. And she smashes the window. I don't know what she's using to smash the window. And then... And then what I love is that the next car just drives up. And they're like, can I have some McNuggets? <laughs> but is it, you know, I think that society may have gone insane. And also, we may need to find out what, what Chelsea Clinton was doing the evening of December 31st, 2009. Because <laughs> that lady does bear a weird resemblance to Chelsea Clinton. Okay. Uh, the, the other thing that I like today, and I don't really like this. Dan Bongino uh, is a Trump surrogate. And you've seen him on TV before. He, uh, he hosts, uh, or he has hosted in the past for, for Mark Levin. I've dealt with him before. He's always been a nice guy. There's a certain rule in politics. If you're in the middle of an interview you don't want to do, take off the microphone and leave. If you're in the middle of an interview with your phone and somebody asks you a question you don't want to answer, put down the phone and walk away. If you don't do that, terrible things happen. That's what happens here. Mark Caputo from Politico is interviewing Dan Bongino, who's this Trump surrogate, uh, and things go very, very poorly. No, do me a favor. Answer my question first, and then you can continue with your slurs and insults. So where in the story, where in the story is their propaganda? Let me ask the question. I'll handle the questions and you handle the answers, okay? Because that's what this is about. Why are you yelling, Dan? Don't get so angry. Oh, now you're swearing. Good Lord. So again, I'll handle the questions. I'll handle the questions and you handle the answers. Okay, you're still not answering the question. We've been on the phone now. Okay, you're gonna, are you going to interrupt me? Answer your question. Where's the propaganda here in this story? It seems pretty straightforward. Again, for the 15th time, we do not have one donor in the district, and we have communicated this information to the neighborhood. That's not in that story he's linking to. You're not answering my question about that story. Mark, you're not interested in any. You're a total bull you, you're really, you're really angry, and you're swearing, Dan. You shouldn't get so angry. Why don't you just answer the question and be honest about things? Because you're not answering my question. You're inventing a different question. You don't. See, here's the problem. 
The problem is you're screaming, you're swearing, and you're throwing around these terms. That's the problem. And now that you've been called in your hackery, you're embarrassed. Uh, no. No, no, you're embarrassed because you can't answer the question. You can't answer the question. So you, you, just to clarify. So this is not, story, we'll pause it. This is not the actual inflammatory part of the interview. I don't think we could play that part on the air. Uh, the reason we can't play that part on the air is because Dan loses his mind. I mean, Dan starts cursing at this guy like blue streak. F this, F that. The only reason I put this in things I like is because it's a good object lesson. Folks, if you don't want to be involved in a bad conversation, walk away. And, uh, and yes, Mark Caputo sounds like an absolute jerk, the interviewer. But if you don't want to be involved in this conversation, the nice thing about phones is that they have an off button. Uh, there's a hang-up button on his cell phone, and he should have used it. Okay, things that I hate. Donald Trump, first of all, he says he wants to film The Apprentice from the White House. Trump filming The Apprentice, I'm going to say that this is a thing I hate, not because I think that it's ridiculous that Trump's doing it, although I do. It's because Barack Obama turned the presidency into a reality show. We've spent the last eight years watching Barack Obama golf. I was at the bookstore yesterday, and there was a, bo there was a book on the shelf that was a history of basketball through the prism of Barack Obama. And I thought to myself, the dude, have you seen the tape of him trying to shoot an outside jumper? Like, I don't have a good outside jumper. My jumper is at least as good as Obama's. I mean, Obama, he, there's a, at an Easter egg hunt like four years ago, he went 0 for 21 from the field with no one guarding him, right? And there's a whole book about him on basketball. And it's just like, really? You turn the, the presidency into a reality show and then you're shocked when a reality show guy tries to take the presidency? No tremendous shock there. Okay, other things that I hate. So Donald Trump, there's a competitive state or what used to be a competitive state called Colorado. And, uh, and the Trump... The Trump campaign office in, one, in the fourth largest district in Colorado is run by a person who is 12 years old, literally 12 years old. And, uh, and here's a little bit of the tape of the 12-year-old. Hey, Jefferson, I'm good. You? In one of the most important elections of our lifetime. I understand you signed up to volunteer for the Trump campaign. In one of the most important counties in the state. Mom. The Donald Trump campaign is relying on 12-year-old Weston Eimer. I am the co-chair for the Jefferson County Trump campaign. We found him Friday putting the final touches on the Jefferson County field office, opening tomorrow in Wheat Ridge, the place where volunteers will gather to get out the vote. Last year at school, um, kids would bully me. Weston admits sitting behind the big desk may not always be the coolest thing to do, but he loves it now and hopes to inspire others. Get involved. That's what I'm going to say. Just get involved. Kids need to be educated. I'm putting these in because these are the ones that were here earlier. Of course, on paper, his mom is the official field coordinator, but she hopes giving her son so much responsibility teaches other parents, Democrats. Or Republican. You have a responsibility to your children to teach them. Weston is hoping to continue his role until school starts in September. Restart it now. Recruiting friends, making the boss proud, and maybe launching a career. Do you want to be we can stop it there. So the problem with this is not kids getting involved in politics. That's fine. That's fine. The problem is that this kid's actually like the field manager in the fourth largest district in Colorado, which is a swing state. So I'm going to say that the ground operation for the Trump campaign needs a little bit of work. I mean, when, when, you're, when your ground operation in Colorado shuts down at 930 because that's bedtime, then, uh, then, that, then that, is not, that is not a good sign for you in any way, shape, or form. Okay. So tomorrow, we will bring you more of the latest Hillary Clinton scandals. We can hope that, that, that Donald Trump contains himself. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's still midway through the day. Uh, his biggest boo-boo is still the Mika and Joe thing today. But we'll see what the news brings. Bill Clinton is making an ass of himself as we speak. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Lots coming up this week on The Ben Shapiro Show. Thanks for joining us.
We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 